intervals or any any type of uh, exercise intensity is prescribed with a feel. It's 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 prescribed by feel, uh, and it can be a, a zone feel. But that should be part of the educational process of the coach athlete uh, is, is to know what know what zone two feels like, know what uh, zone three feels like, know what zone five feels like. The Triathlon Show, 128. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Professor Paul Larson on the topic of interval training. This is a long interview because uh, it ended up being really, really interesting and good, I think. So I split it into you'll hear part one today and part two on Thursday. To give you a bit of a background about Paul, he is a adjunct professor and performance physiologist at Auckland University of Technology, and uh, he led the performance physiology team at High Performance Sport New Zealand for both the London and Rio Olympic cycles. He is also a coach himself. He coaches uh, elite triathletes like Kyle Buckingham, for example. And he is currently writing a book with uh, Martin Boucher titled The Science and Application of High-Intensity Interval Training, which is the topic of today's interview as well. But before that, let's thank Precision Hydration for supporting this podcast. At the time of this recording, I'm just wrapping up planning some epic bike rides for a training camp that I'm organizing in the Algarve in southern Portugal in uh, just a little bit more than a week now that you, or now that I record this, I should say. And you'll bet that those long bike rides will see me filling my bottles with precision hydration to keep me hydrated and keep my electrolyte stores tapped up so that I don't suffer from cramps, which would be easy to do in that heat, or even just performance decrements if you you let your electrolyte stores run low. So I'll use my typical pH 1000, which I mostly use for training, sometimes in really hot conditions, even pH 1500, so that depends a bit. But listeners of That Triathlon Show can, as you know, get their first box of Precision Hydration for free when you go to precisionhydration.com and use the promo code Show, all one word, all caps. And remember to first take their free online sweat test to find out what strength of electrolyte product you should get to fit your individual sweat sodium content. All right, let's hear part one of my interview with Professor Paul Larson. Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Paul Larson. Welcome, Paul. How are you today? Oh, doing great. Thanks, Michael. It's great to have you. I've been really excited for this interview. It's a fascinating topic, interval training, and you are one of the key co-authors of a new book on that topic coming out later. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but can you first give us just a brief summary of why we should be doing interval training in, in general and, and what your work in interval training is about other than writing a book? 
Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, may, maybe just to start with your first question, why interval training is of, of benefit. And it's, it's really a bit of a buzz term these days. It's really taken off. Even if you go to kind of Google Trends and stuff, you, you, can, you can see the, the increase in interest over probably the last five years, uh, um, particularly, uh, but, e- but even over the last 10 years. But the last five years has just been going crazy. And, and people are just really, I guess, realizing the, the certain benefit of this. It has a, it has a lot of benefits to, to just, I'm just speaking really globally uh, in terms of, of uh, the, the benefit for any human. And that's just, I think that probably the key ones, the key, the key areas um, would be, you know, your, your recruitment of your, your fast twitch motor units that in today's um, modern world, most of us are not getting the recruitment of those larger, bigger, fast twitch motor units and you know high intensity interval training which we should kind of you know we should define it this is this is uh when you're exercising above your so-called anaerobic threshold so you're you know it's it's that exercise intensity where you're you know you're breathing quite hard or there's um you know there's a there's a there's a solid effort that's going into the workload and uh and yeah and i guess so the, the first thing that's happening there is that your brain is recruiting these fast twitch motor units uh, that typically don't get activated when you're sitting at a desk like like you and I are right now, you know, um, speaking to one another, and that's 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 the first one. And then there's you know the the VO2 max benefits typically if we're going to be talking about um, you know exercise that's that's uh, targeting you know maximal cardiac output, high heart rates. Uh, that's also another stimulus that we're probably a lot of us aren't getting, um, and, and you know those of us in the triathlon community are probably not not typically getting that as much as, as other forms of, you know, uh, prolonged aerobic fat burning type exercise. Um, and then finally is the, 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 I guess, third or fourth potential benefits might be your, you know, your, your glycolytic system, your, your, um, that lactate kind of burning one and, um, and the, and the neuromuscular system as well. And, and, and then there's a, you know, there's a variety of other things that are going on that, and, and things we don't even know about as well, but there's there's some general overall uh, health benefits, and that's that's I think probably yeah the answer to the first question is just the realization of 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 those benefits, and yeah that's that's uh, the the public's caught a hold of that, so there's a genuine interest in that, and then you know we can talk about triathlon and why why a triathlete could really benefit from maybe more of that type of work than yeah let, let's let's give a, a brief brief summary of the performance benefits on that side from that perspective for triathletes specifically of, of intervals like not going very deep but uh, just a summary yeah well to be honest it's not too far off those ones that i've just i've just mentioned for for anyone uh, again you, if you consider that uh you know um the majority of most programs in triathlon uh tends to be a you know a, w- that are obeying the principle of specificity, they're pretty, it tend to be a lot of, um, uh, base work and, and aerobic training and, and, you know, uh, coffee ride, chit chat kind of, kind of training. And that's, um, you know, that, that is the majority I think of the training and it probably should still should be that in, in most triathletes, but, um, where interval training really can comes in, come in is, different ways of getting at that those high muscle recruitments 
high cardiac output, high VO2 max or high, high VO2. And, and, and yeah, just getting that, the, the, the dose of those sorts of things, right. The, the higher we can, I guess, um, what interval training um, allows, I guess, is through a training effect is you getting used to recruiting those larger and larger motor units. Um, and, and when you do that on a routine kind of basis, you're giving the signals of those larger motor units or fast twitch fibers to become a little bit more fatigue resistant, for example. Um, they, you're giving those guys the signal um, to develop more mitochondria. Now, mitochondria are the, um, they're the powerhouses of the cells that, um, that facilitate aerobic respiration. Um, they burn, they give us ATP aerobically, no byproducts, um, you know, just carbon dioxide and water. And yeah, as a result, that's, that's when you're looking at a, an elite athlete performing on the world's world stage, pick your hero. But you know, those, those individuals have got that system in their, you know, in relatively larger motor units dialed in and uh, operating extremely efficiently. So interval training is one of the methods that a triathlete can use to, um, to help get, you know, farther down the line in performance. That's what's so many of us kind of want. So it's why it's important to, for coaches and, and athletes to can definitely consider it. Great. And, uh, and what about your background? You're, you're in or have been in performance physiology for a long time, obviously. And I've talked a little bit about your background in the intro, but how did you get interested specifically in interval training and so interested that you're now uh, writing a book with, uh, Martin Bouchait, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but uh, that's going to be out later this this year. How how did that come about? Yeah, well, that's a that's a long story. It's a great and that's a great story and a good place to start. So my background, I guess, comes as a um, you know, like so many of us in the sports science, I come from a, a bit of a frustrated uh, athlete's perspective. I um, you know, got into exercise and, and sport at a young age and into triathlon in my, in my teens, uh, tried to become, I guess, a professional through my twenties, failed at that. And as a result, went to, um, went to try to learn more about it. So it kind of took that same sort of drive as I, as I got into the sports sciences. And, and, and I guess I decided that I wanted to, to have a career in that. So one of the questions that I had was, um, was along the the lines of interval training or in other words could was there some form of training that i could do uh, and you have to you have to remember as well this is back in like the the 90s and and uh, the early 2000s so you know is there a form of uh, of exercise that kind of gives you the best bang for buck and that was the question that i had so i did my my doctoral studies on that in uh, on a scholarship in in australia and you know i guess spent spent a solid uh, three, four years doing that and then continued down the, that line. And I guess some of the, um, w- when I was in Australia and, and did some work with uh, the Australian Institute of Sport and, and some of their, their workers. And at, at that same time through those publications, um, all, on the other side of the world, uh, Martin Bichette, you, you weren't too close, you weren't too far off on the, um, on the, on the name, but yeah, Martin Bichette is, uh, was, was kind of having similar, um, questions from a team ports sport perspective. And we really sort of started with the, um, yeah, I, I guess true science where we're really looking at how the, how the body is responding to different forms of intensities and different, 
I guess, different um, formulas of intensities and durations. We formed a lot of experiments um, in, in to, to, to get at that question collaboratively, collaboratively through our various works and published lots on that. And finally, well, we had a I bit guess, of a connection um, issue here the, the last 15 seconds or so. So can you, can you repeat that, uh, the last couple of sentences? Yeah, so um, the... I, I guess um, so. Collaboratively, Martin and I worked uh, together on a lot of different these these different um, interval areas, and uh, you know we we coined a phrase actually in our book. There's there's more than one way to skin a cat. So we found we I guess we really were investigating the different ways you can skin a cat when it comes to training. That's an old English proverb or, or saying that. Um, you know, there's lots of there's more than one way to to um, to get at uh, to get at an outcome, and we spent a, a lot of time together researching and publishing on the different ways you can skin a cat when it comes to to interval training, and and I guess um, at the the popularity of interval training grew, and as a result, the um, the people that are higher up in the journals contacted Martin and I. Uh, on and, and asked us to form um, uh, a review of the literature and, and lead a, l- a review of the literature. And it's the journals t- uh, called Sports Medicine. It's our in the in the sports sciences. It's the leading um, review journal. And we yeah, so we put our head together over oh, I guess two three years. It took us a long time to write it. It's a bit of a beast of of a paper or it's a, a two part paper and. And yeah, we published that, and and then after we published the paper, that got a lot of uh, interest. Then the publishers at Human Kinetics um, came to us and we uh, and asked us to write a book on it. And we were we said no, and and we kept saying no, and they kept coming back. And finally, we um, the timing was kind of right with my myself. I was working at the uh, by that time I was working with the New Zealand Olympic program, leading their physiology. Um, physiology team and uh, i said okay well that's probably you know end of end of the olympic cycle in, in rio is probably a, t- a good time to to uh to head back home to canada with the family and all whilst i'm there I'll, I'll write the book with martin while martin continues to work for um paris saint germain football club as the the lead of performance there so we've got a i think the our advantage i guess on this whole book is that we've got a very solid understanding of both the academic or research uh side and alongside of the 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 way you can actually apply it to athletes and um we put those things together and it's not just martin and i as well so martin it's it's the book is titled the science and application of high intensity interval training and um the application chapters are actually written by practitioners that are embedded in 20 of the world's most popular sports that actually apply interval training so, and that, because there is that disconnect sometimes that we see in the academic uh, realm, you know, the studies that are actually done in the labs versus what actually gets done in the field. And uh, we're really trying to bring the two worlds together ultimately. And that's, that's the, the purpose of the book. And we, we hope that people will uh, enjoy it and, and most importantly, find it of, of use in optimizing their own performances. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. And let's uh, dive a bit deeper and uh, get the information that uh, you have already researched out of you here, so that the listeners can already start applying some of that knowledge. And uh, maybe we should start with defining what different kinds of intervals you can do, or what kind of interval training you can do, because 
not all interval training, as you said, is created equal. There are different ways to skin a cat. So what are the broad categories of interval training that uh, that you can do as a triathlete or in any sport, really? Yeah, super question and a great place to start. And we do cover that in depth in the book. But let me give a, yeah, let me go through a little bit of a breakdown. What This is probably the big twist that we do in the book, at least we, we, we try to do in the book. Uh, I guess time will tell whether we, we're successful at it or not. But we're, again, based on, on how we think about, about performance, we think about the human first and how the human is going to respond. So we actually asked, uh, we ask people in the book to, to think more about the target that they're trying to, to go after in terms of the physiological adaptations that they're trying to make. And um, yeah, basically we've broken down those down into six different targets or actually even starting back three, three basic systems that we're trying to target in terms of physiological systems. So, and, and those are the ones that I, I, I mentioned in the beginning so uh, the you know are we trying to enhance um, the ability of a system to produce energy aerobically? So are we trying to enhance the aerobic oxidative system? Number one. Number two, are we trying to enhance the ability of the glycolytic system, the anaerobic system, to um, to improve its output? Number two. And then number three would be the, um, you know, are we looking for various neuromuscular, mus- uh, mechanical or musculoskeletal type type adaptations, right? So um, you know, recruitment principles or um, trying to uh, lessen the impact of muscle damage. So that would be the third, the third one with those, those three broad categories. And if you take those three broad categories, you can actually create um, six, uh, six, six, um, six sort of intervals kind of or, or types of adaptations or targets come out. So you can have different forms of interval training that really just target your oxidative system. If you manipulate, if you skin the cat the right way, you can have uh, a second type, type two, that, um, you know, they, they also elicit an oxidative aerobic response, but um, are also neuromuscularly demanding. Uh, the third type of response would be an oxidative system again. Um, however, you would also be targeting the the anaerobic or anaerobic glycolytic system. That would be your type three. Type four one that that that's one when you're hitting all four uh, four physiological areas in your target. So an oxidative, anaerobic, neuromuscular type. The fifth would be one where you're actually turning off the oxidative system. You're giving enough rest. Uh, in, uh, and you're manipulating or skinning the cat uh, enough so that you target the anaerobic and neuromuscular systems only. So and then the yeah, final I missed the last one, sentence or, or, here, here again can, with a connection issue. Can you, can you finish that or take that sentence yeah. from the beginning with the number five? I sure, think the, that's when, when I lost you. Number five. Yes, yeah, so number the type five would be the uh, anaerobic neuromuscular system when you're you're removing the oxidative component of it um, because you're giving enough rest and recovery between um, between the intervals when you're skinning the cat. And then the final one, is, the type six, is a neuromuscular uh, a neuromuscular only type uh, response, which actually technically isn't high intensity interval training. This is more uh, speed or strength type work. But it's important uh, in our model that uh, that we have that in there to appreciate the 
the influence many of us will know that uh, the neuromuscular musculoskeletal type stress has on us. So six types of targets. Now, we haven't even gone into the, the different forms of interval trainings, but what, let's just, um, we ask the, um, the reader to just consider those those various targets can I just, that they have. Can I just cut in here briefly to say something? Because we could obviously talk for hours and hours about what the aerobic, anaerobic, or glycolytic and neuromuscular systems are and go into great depth on that. But then we would have no time for intro training. So I just want to tell the listeners that uh, at least for the aerobic and anaerobic side of things, there is an episode that I did in episode 71, I believe. I'll get it right in the show notes that they can go and listen to to learn about how they differ and and uh, kind of get the background if they are uncertain about what we're talking about. Yeah, so the uh, type five type of interval training. This is this is more of one where you would um, you skin the cat appropriately with enough pauses on your um, uh, during your recovery that you uh, facilitate basically an anaerobic and a neuromuscular stimulus only, and you turn off the oxidative system. And these are you know these are these are ones that are recruited um, associated with very high muscular recruitment levels. And then type six would be one where it would be neuromuscular only, uh, with just a neuromuscular stimulus. So these are more um, for speed and strength type workouts, very short, so no no oxidative or anaerobic type engagements to speak of, uh, and and not, it's actually not technically considered high intensity interval training, but it's important that we include it within our model because of the importance of the, uh, the, the neuromuscular musculoskeletal strain or, or stress that we, um, that really can, uh, complicate a, uh, a coach's, uh, programming puzzle. So yeah, those are the, those are the type, the, the six types of targets that we, um, uh, that we put forth in our model. And, and we, we, you know, we haven't even got into the, the different types of formats uh of of interval training first but we just start there with the physiological uh target responses that we're after if when we're when we're considering a programming uh situation for our athletes yeah so so to wrap up what we have so far we have three systems the aerobic anaerobic and neuromuscular and the targets are combinations of them or uh, they can be also just a single one of those systems that we target with a certain type of interval training and how we program the the workouts then makes us achieve those those targets and just a quick note for the listeners if uh, you're not quite sure about the difference between aerobic and anaerobic uh, in particular i don't have an episode on neuromuscular training uh, particularly but for aerobic and anaerobic training episode 71 i believe i'll get get it in the show notes so that you can you can get the right link but that's where we cover the difference between aerobic and anaerobic uh, energy production and and those systems and how it works in terms of training and and what you see in your heart rate etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, so that's something that you can look at to to understand as we go deeper into the format of uh, the workouts but uh, before we do before we talk about the format are some of these targets uh, particularly useful for triathletes or more useful for and beneficial for triathletes than other targets? Yeah, I think, um, I think they all have their place, but there's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe next we will, well, yeah, I mean, the oxidative target is probably the, the most important one. Um, 
I would say that maybe the neuromuscular one actually might be might be next. The neuromuscular musculoskeletal one, especially when you're looking when you're considering the importance of that on the run. Right? You really need to get your um, your neuromuscular stimulus right to withstand the the heavy muscle damage that always that always happens at, in the um, during the run phase. Uh, of a triathlon, which tends to be the most important phase, really, when we're looking at least, especially in the pointy end of uh, of, of competitions in triathlon, uh, and then maybe the anaerobic system would be the last uh, last one of importance, but could still be uh, at times useful. I'm, I'm thinking especially in like Olympic distance, um, non you know uh, non draft or sorry, yeah, drafting races, draft legal races where there's lots of, you know, there's various different tactics. Uh, and it might even be really important in the swim start as well um, for positioning and those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, in, the, in that order, oxidative neuromuscular uh, anaerobic targets for, for me is, would be my priority for the, the triathlon context-specific athlete. So let's talk about how to structure and plan workouts to uh, to achieve these targets and and to target the different systems. What are the variables that we can uh, that we can play around with, and uh, how should we think about playing around with them and structuring the the workouts? Yeah, great, great question. So the you know we break it down into twelve various factors we can use to skin the cat and. Just to give you a level of the complexity that we're dealing with here, if you you know if there's any mathematical gurus that are sort of out there, you can run something called a factor analysis, and if you you know you throw twelve different variables in there, uh, it comes out to like you know there's there's like um, over a million different ways you can skin the cat when it comes to training, and that's which is probably why we see so many different um, you know ways of training that can lead to success. That's a that's the good news, I guess. Uh, but the, can we I, can we also get a little bit more specific? And um, and that that was kind of our goal of the book. So I won't go into all twelve factors; it'll be too much. But I'll give you the big rocks, the the most important ones. And the first one is probably the intensity of the exercise at any boat. That's 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 factor number one. So um, you know, what degree of intensity are we talking about? Now, again, go back to the definition of interval training. We're not talking about anything that's under your FTP or your anaerobic threshold or whatever you want to call that. So every, you know, we're talking about intensities above that, but even, even with intensities above your FTP, there's a, there's a lot of different, uh, there's still a lot of, there's, there's a long way to go, right. From all out max power, you know, which in a top, um, a top, uh, triathlete, um, that might be a thousand Watts, for example. And even even higher in a in a cyclist or ex, you know extremely fast running speeds as well, you know up to you know maybe twenty five kilometers an hour at a, at a very fast, uh, extremely fast uh, uh, runner. So that's the that's the intensity sort of range that we can kind of go through. And there's many different intervals that you can you can. There's a lot there. There's a a long way to go in terms of the intensity selection that you could make uh, in your interval. Of course, the other one that parallels or pairs with it is is the duration. Of course, the higher the intensity that you go, the shorter the duration that you're only going to be able to to withstand that that interval. Um, and so that needs to always be factored in. 
And again, when you start, um, those are, so th those are the two most important factors, the intensity and the duration of that intensity in your, for your, for your exercise bout. And, um, yeah, the more, the, 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 the higher the intensity with coupled with that longer duration at that high intensity, as you know, the, the listener will know, the, the more you dig in into that, the more this is going to have a various, you know, an effect on your, your physiology or your, uh, your stress or strain. So that, but, um, I guess that can be, uh, I guess, t uh, tempered or, or controlled a little bit if you have appropriate bouts of recovery between those exercise, those, those high exercise intensities and durations of those intensities. Uh, and, and then the other thing that we can kind of have in there, I guess the, in that recovery bout between the, between the interval bouts is different. Um, we can have those as passive or we can have those as active. So, you know, those, those are probably the, the main ones is the number of bouts, uh, their intensity, their, their duration, and then the, I guess the intensity and the duration of the recovery bouts between those. And if we wanted to add kind of a, um, another, another one later on down the road, it would be the intensity and the duration of the, the recovery between the series. You might have a, a number of different series of these intervals that you're prescribing. So with those as the, the main variables that we can manipulate, it might be a good idea to, to sort of talk about the categorization of some of the main interval formats that a coach or athlete might use. I'm not sure, Michael, where you want yeah, to go? Yeah, absolutely. Go, go ahead with that. That sounds great. Cool. So we take those, um, again, we've got our six target types. And now, we want, now we're moving into, um, that, we, that we said before, with the physiological targets. The next phase that we kind of go to is, is really uh, understanding the, the main categorization of interval formats that we can use to kind of place into our programs to hit those targets. And the, the, the main, I'll start with uh, the very first one, I would call those long intervals. And, uh, and again, remember that the intensity that we're referring to is above your threshold. And um, the, the, the main one that comes to mind in long intervals, now, when we say long intervals, these are interval, bout to, uh, interval bouts above that threshold um, and longer than two minutes. Okay, so the duration of that bout above threshold is longer than two minutes, probably no longer than about five or six minutes. That's, that's kind of getting to the upper end. Uh, of the duration of a long interval. So not that long, really, but in the context of interval training, especially where inter you know, intervals can be quite short and sharp, um, the long interval is that two to, two to five or six minute duration. Um, and typically you can't really uh, withstand that too much above your so-called VO2 max pace. Probably you've heard of, uh, you know, these might be called VO2 max intervals to some. That's what we're also sort of referring to. And yeah, uh, I guess the, these are um, typically uh, giving us a type three or a type four target, right? So recall that a type three target is your oxidative anaerobic, uh, and then your type four target is oxidative, anaerobic, and neuromuscular. 
All right, and you can imagine. So, so would yeah. you with with two minute intervals? Would you get some neuromuscular uh, benefits as well, or or how do they break down? Where do the not not necessarily saying that there is a specific threshold, but but is it with the shorter intervals that you they're so sharp and and sweet that you actually get some that much neuromuscular recru- recruitment that that's also a, another uh, another benefit of them and another targeted system? Yeah, well, I think. Um... That's a, that's a goodie, but that's yeah, again, it depends. But if you were uh, if the if the intensity wasn't crazy, then that would be a nice one. Where almost giving you a you could get a really nice type three response on that, not too uh, neuromuscular type type sort of sort of wise on that, which is uh, which could be really useful in the program for for a two minute one. But if the intensity was uh, was was high over two minutes you you could certainly get a neuromuscular one as well so it would kind of it would flip between the type three or the type four again it's it really really kind of depends it depends on the um the individual we're talking about and um and yeah that, that that's the main thing so and and I, I really almost should have started with that we we always have to start with um the context of the the athlete type right so if I'm, uh, you know, this the the prescription that I'm going to be giving for uh, one of the elites that I coach is going to be far far different than someone that's just starting into their first triathlon. So my context here is I typically train very, um, you know, very elite guys, and so uh, yeah, that's for them. I'm that that's kind of the the ones I'm talking here, but but it's. Uh, Two minute interval could be. A- Let, let's actually b- both make a mental note here that after we cover these formats and go through them, that we'll talk about a couple of scenarios for different types of athletes. What what kind of workouts they might might be doing? But uh, yeah, g- keep going. So we had the long long intervals, and uh, was there anything else about them, or uh, do you want to go on to the next? No, I think that's about it. So say two to five minutes on the duration, VO two max intensity about. Uh, is kind of the ballpark on the long intervals. And the next one we kind of move into is the short interval. These are, um, I, I see them at least uh, less used in triathlon training, but I will say highly effective and um, uh, quite versatile of a, of a format. So the, the duration range of the short interval can be as short as 10 seconds and as long as, as, long as 60 seconds. That's kind of the duration that we're playing with. Um, we can hit just about every single target type one through four. All right. So you can, it can be oxidative only, which is really useful, especially if you, because we don't want that anaerobic or neuromuscular stimulus sometimes in a program. We just really want to keep the aerobic engine ticking along. Um, so highly useful and versatile, uh, format. And is that because of the recovery takes yeah. or the additional injury risk and risk of uh, of illness, et cetera, that you would want to keep it to just aerobic? And that's still like the big, big thing that we want to develop as triathletes because it's an aerobic sport. Exactly. You you got it. So if you can tick that aerobic engine along, uh, but not, uh, I guess, elicit a sympathetic nervous system response that you get with both the neuromuscular and the glycolytic type activations then you 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 keep fatigue at bay ultimately and um you yeah it's a it's a nice little tricky way to to keep the system happy you keep your you know your immune system functioning quite well in that and it's not overly stressful but you're still gaining that um larger motor unit 
recruitment, um, which you want to you wanna maximize. And you also touched on another thing, Michael, where um, it, it is indeed the recovery time, right? So imagine if you're only going, let's, let's say, 10 seconds on an extreme case, but then you're, you're pausing for another 10 seconds. Well, in that pause, uh, where imagine it being passive, where you're not doing anything for another 10 seconds, you get a complete uh, restoration of this cool compound that's in our muscle called myoglobin, all right? So it's, it's kind of the muscle's hemoglobin, and it, it winds up resaturating really quickly. And as a result, um, it, um, it, it's available, that oxygen is available there for aerobic respiration um, in the next bout. And also as a result, it, um, it, it doesn't elicit the, um, the lactate or the, um, yeah, the lactate system ultimately. So you can actually, if you manipulate your, your intervals down to 10 seconds, um, like imagine doing a series of 10, 10 on, 10 off, and uh, just a bunch of those uh, repetitively, you can actually exercise at VO2 max. So you're, you're breathing heavy, uh, heart rates near max, um, but you can maintain like a super manageable blood lactate level of like around four millimoles. And that, that in itself actually was one of, the, one of the things that just fascinated us when we first got into the area uh, of interval training. So yeah, short intervals, I, I see them as being... Um, I guess less utilized in the triathlon community, I, 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 um, but they could be um, could be highly effective at um, uh, gaining the I guess the both the aerobic stimulus and the recruitment without uh, overly st- overly being stressful. Got it. Okay. So next, uh, after short intervals, what's uh, the next format? Well, the next now we're kind of moving away from things that aren't aren't too used in, um, in triathletes, but I'll, I'll just briefly touch on them. So the next one would be repeated sprint training. And, um, so repeated sprint training would be, this is more used in the team sport context. There are, you know, they're, they're all out activities. There's sprints over, you know, three to seven seconds. And then they're, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a, a 20 second pause kind of thing. And then they do it again. If you watch any, team sport athletes, you know, rugby players, soccer players, et cetera. They're doing a lot of uh, repeat sprints because they really need to engage the, um, I guess that, uh, um, you know, type three and type five targets really, or sorry, type four and type five targets for that, uh, that repeated sprint training. And, uh, you know, and their, you know, the speed and, and the ability to repeat speed is, is, is important. And then uh, the other, but yeah, not not used too much. I've seen it in a couple couple scenarios. Maybe in uh, athletes that are lacking top speed, they might utilize that in the run or or even in the swim as well. That, that might be a type of swim workout. You could uh, you can engage that, but um, yeah, not too often in most triathletes programs. And then the final one, which again probably even be less used in a triathletes program, and these would be. Re- uh, sprint interval training. This is when you're prolonging um, that all-out maximal um, uh, exercise. So this would be, you know, 30 to 40 seconds of all-out max, and then a very long recovery. You know, to fully, re- fully recover that 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 anaerobic glycolytics. Uh, sorry, the anaerobic and uh, neuromuscular systems. 
so you can fully engage it again. So it's not the oxidative system isn't engaged too much in this in this situation. They're solely um, type five uh, targets. It's like a, a mid mid distance runner workout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like uh, yeah, an eight hundred meter runner type type workout for sure, uh, or or a sprinter workout, and or you know it's. Yeah, they're not they're not too pleasant if there's any exercise physiologists out there they they'd know this as a uh, a, a wingate test it's ultimately repeating a wingate test if you know that mm, yeah yeah okay so uh, now then let's uh, talk about a bit about the the different types of athletes and and how to think about it so uh, maybe if we start with like your mid packer who does uh, 70.3s and ironmans like what how do they we already said that the aerobic system is uh, what we want to focus on the most, but how should somebody like that particular athlete type uh, choose what kind of format and how to how to structure their, their internal workouts? Is there anything specific that is different for them compared to your elite guys on the ITU circuit, for example? Yeah, well, I guess you could start with... Um... I mean, with any sport or with any athlete's program, we do want to think about the principle of specificity. Um, and in general, you know, with a 70.3 or Olympic distance type um, athlete that's re- really getting out there to, to compete as best they can, but they've got a full-time job and they're working and they can only, you know, they can only spend 10 hours a week generally uh, of training then you know you you would want a certain uh, a certain amount of that uh, that training to be aerobic but again with limited time you could get a little bit more bang for buck with with uh with a low volume training program to incorporate some of uh, uh you know a, a few more interval training type um activities in in your in your training and there's loads of options out there um you know when you look at some of the the wind trainer type uh, programs that are out there, whether it's Trainer Road or uh, you know um, Zwift or or whatever you want to consider, there's lots of different ways. But you 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 know one of the things you you might want to have in there is again looking at the different uh, target types. You might want to have some uh, ty- some of these type one uh, short intervals that are in there, right? Where it's ten seconds on. Uh, 10 seconds off, you know, and, and when I'm talking about the intensity on the, the short intervals, that might be more in your, you know, just, a, just above the, um, your VO2 max intensity, uh, but only for 10 seconds and then off for 10 seconds and, and kind of continue that. And that could go up to 20 seconds. That could, that could be progressed to 30 seconds and on and on it kind of goes. So short intervals would be a, a great little, little one to kind of have, have targeted in there. Um, and then, you know, again, it really depends on the athlete, but um, an, a, a different uh, a different format might be that that longer interval in there where we're doing two or three three minute VO two max type intervals with a two to uh, three minute recovery um, duration in there as well to fully recover. Uh, and the you know you know you're at VO two max when you're breathing very very hard and heavy, and your heart rate is near near its max by the end of this. Um, and, and of course the number of these boats that you, that you tag on there is going to be really important as well. And the, the, I guess the less fit you are, the, the, le- the lower number of these you'll be able to, uh, achieve without, um, 
yeah, without uh, gaining too much stress in the body. So yeah, that's, uh, and we can talk about that later about how, how to kind of manage that stress for the different individuals. But that, you know, for a typical 10 hour a week, uh, Olympic distance, uh, 70.3 type person, those would be good to, to kind of have in there maybe two or three times a week alongside, uh, you know, your, your, um, your aerobic, uh, type activities, maybe a longer ride or a longer run on the weekend sort of thing. So, so would that be like one interval training on, on the swim and on the bike and on the run and then uh, the rest would be aerobic or, or how would you break, break those two or three interval sessions down? Was it, uh, within each discipline or can you clarify that? Yeah, it's a, and again, it's it's so uh, individual context, right? Yeah. So the the fitter that we are, the more we can with you know we can handle this. We could have two a week in a in a in a given discipline in an athlete that could handle that. But uh, one one in each discipline would probably for be more than enough for an individual that's just kind of starting out. And the different uh, even the modes of exercise in a triathlete are going to have different um, different physiological impacts too, right? So. Uh, uh, with running is going to be the most, um, stressful, uh, cycling would probably be next. And then swimming would likely be, be last, but again, probably also depends on the background of the individual where, you know, uh, if someone's coming in from, uh, uh, without any swimming background as well, swimming workout might be highly stressful on them too. So it's, uh, unfortunately it's, there's so much of this kind of stuff where it comes back to it's, it depends. And uh, again, this is really the importance of, uh, for those triathletes that are out there is, is, you know, listening, it's the importance of getting a, a good coach is, uh, it can be worth its weight in gold. So I want to get into like how a given athlete can kind of measure the effectiveness or, or what they should try to, to target, not necessarily the format of the workout, but what should be the end goal to get the most bang for buck for each workout but first you mentioned there that you can do that athletes that can handle it can do quite a bit more intro training and i recently interviewed david warden about uh, the topic of 80 20 uh, training distribution so 80 percent of the training being easy endurance training below the aerobic threshold and uh, 20, only 20 percent being above that so potentially at most 20 percent of your training volume would be this type of intro training or even anything above the aerobic threshold. So, so where did, do you fall on that spectrum? Do you agree with that? Or do you think that for age groupers that have limited time to train, that uh, this rule is something that uh, can be bent? And if so, to what extent? Yeah, it's a super question. It was, I was actually going to bring it up too. So I'm really glad you brought it up on the polarization thing. Um, and it's, um, when we see this is, uh, so Dan Plews and I, my colleague, one of the things that, um, that we've generally seen, cause you know, you know, we've, we've, we've worked with athletes that are up training, uh, you know, up to 35 hours a week. And then, yeah, of course we coach, uh, individuals that are weekend warriors and they, they'll only be able to train eight to 10 hours a week. And what we find, uh, is, is that the, the polarization, really is really really important for athletes that are high you know in the high volume phase really around when they start going above 20 hours a week is a um is where things really start to matter in terms of that polarization so you uh, if you're if you're an athlete and you're going over 20 uh, in terms of your hour weekly hourly training then 
you wouldn't probably uh, want to have 30% of that time as high intensity work above, you know, in, uh, um, I guess above your, what's, what's actually called your, your first, uh, ventilatory threshold, your aerobic threshold. So you don't want to have the majority of that training overall above, um, you know, which might be like a zone, zone three and above, you wouldn't want to be up, up there. T- um, at least what we see, uh, we, we see athletes tending to trend towards kind of the overtraining, just too much stress in the system for most individuals. Some people can handle it for a while, um, but uh, yeah, probably not sort of too long. So to answer your question, in general, yeah, that, uh, that 80-20 polarization theory works great uh, for the athletes that are kind of in that 20 plus. And, and yeah, for the bulk of those could be, um, could be interval work. It's great when the, that 20% is, the majority of that 20% is, is high intensity uh, intervals. Um, although for a lot of triathletes, especially the Ironman guys, um, yeah, it's, it might be more in that sort of tempo zone. Um, you know, it's cause they, they need to do sort of, well, we believe they need to do sort of prolonged efforts that are specific to the intensity they'll, they'll be riding and running at in a, in an Ironman. This is really, really interesting because, uh, do you want to take a guess at what, uh, David picked as his threshold for when polarization becomes important where you picked 20 and I'm not saying that any of you is uh, right or wrong, but I just think it's uh, brilliant to get different perspectives. So, so what do you think David said for the, the weekly hourly threshold? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't know, David. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, okay, I, I'll, I'll tell you. It's it was seven hours. So when you go about okay. seven hours per week, he he wanted you to adhere to the eighty twenty principle, and uh, and and I I don't program according to eighty twenty, but I calculate after I program like what what the distribution is, and and I think I fall probably somewhere in between in that for running, even for lower volume like seven eight hours, I definitely tend to stick to having 20% or less at a high intensity but for cycling I definitely do do quite a bit more especially for those athletes that are around 10 hours or 12 hours and then only when you approach 15 20 hours as you say that's that's when when I try to keep it down to to that 20% but definitely for for a 10 hour athlete or then it could easily be that uh, that 30% or 35% is is more high high intensity or not high intensity but uh uh race specific so that's zone free which would be the moderate intensity i i guess in this context that, that this was a bit of a uh of a side track from from the intro training but it's uh very interesting to to discuss that as well and put some things in in perspective and get get different perspectives so uh yeah oh, I, good. I, I think it michael i think it's it's incredibly uh important uh, topic and and um, I think it really just highlights how individual we all are because I mean um, I have uh, I've been fortunate to train um, I train a, an elite professional one of the uh, he would be uh, you know he, he's won multiple Ironmans in the world uh, and this guy would be down training around 15 hours a week uh, and, but he, you know, and he's an elite less than 15 hours a week, but he would be incredibly, you know, just high intensity interval training all over, all over the map. Um, you know, so it'd be way, way over. He almost be 
kind of uh, 50 percent. But that's that's an extreme outlier. Is this Another the case guy, study we'll talk about later towards the end of the episode? Oh uh, no, 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 oh, that's okay. a no. This is a different one. This is a different. So yeah, and yeah, the the case we'll talk about later would be um, well and truly polarized, more in the twenty to twenty five hour a week, but but well and truly kind of more the eighty twenty. And then the the final example I was going to give you would be a uh, you know a, a hardworking um, banking business guy in Singapore. He's only got like you know uh, seven to ten hours a week training, but again, he'd be. Uh, you know, he, this is a top age grouper in the world. He, you know, he'd be in the top five in his age group in Kona, and he would be, yeah, he would be high intensity all over the board. So during his no time to train, but when he's training, he's he's well, he's he's almost uh, you know seven to ten hours, but it's all high intensity. You know, it's it's really really extreme, kind of you know probably be seventy percent. So yeah, it's just you know it is. Uh, we are also there's no not a whole lot of <laughs> rules that are necessarily out there that are absolute we are also individual yeah yeah that's a, those are brilliant examples uh, to show the the disparity between different athletes and, and what works for for different types of athletes mm-hmm. Let, let's uh, get uh, get back to a bit how we can kind of think about structuring our intro workouts for for example for a self-coached athlete or for coaches listening to this are there any key performance indicators as is trending the business world to talk about for how you structure workout like for example i'm thinking things like time in zone or rate of lactate accumulation or or anything else that we that, that we should think about even in in strength training resistance training it would be total tonnage so that could be something in maybe a neuromuscular type of workout that you you want to keep track of so so what, what's your thought on that yeah it's a super good question uh come across this one a lot when I'm consulting with various coaches and stuff. And, and one of the, one of the things in, from those discussions we often talk about is, you know, time and zone might be a good place to, to start. And that's, that, that really gives insight into, you know, some of the polarization stuff we've just spoken on. But um, yeah, cause you kind of want to, you know, you want to know the, the heart rate and its association with the speed and power. And uh, I, I find it interesting, amusing that a lot of coaches, uh, they'll, they'll, they tend to throw out one or the other. They um, and and I think one of the most important things you can do as a coach or or self coached athlete is really make sure that you have both your heart rate and speed power. It's just so easy to collect and throw on a heart rate monitor at the same time. Really, um, so uh, yeah, that's making sure you've got those kind of to begin with. And then if you're using like a you know, a system like Training Creeks or uh, Garmin Connect, you should be able to get the metrics to see to see your various uh, times in time in zone. So that would be a really good place to start. But I think maybe the the other important thing is from a prescription standpoint that that I think is 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 important is that um, intervals or any any type of uh, exercise intensity is prescribed with a feel. It's 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 prescribed by feel. Uh, and it can be a, a zone feel, but that should be part of the educational process of the coach athlete uh, is, is to know what know what zone two feels like, know what uh, zone three feels like, know what zone five feels like, and and you should be uh, if you get a a prescription of an intensity for a certain duration, you should know the ballpark of of what that feels like, and you might not know it from day one, but again through the trial and error process you should be working towards knowing what that feels like. 
Uh, and then once you get that, that uh, I guess, that knowledge and awareness of where those uh, zones and are and where they, where, how they feel, we should then be monitoring the associated power speed and, and heart rate of those. And, uh, and, and if you do that, it, it's, it's enabling, I guess, uh, in my mind, it's enabling the, the body to adapt optimally. Because if you are prescribing, uh, I guess, absolute intensities, whether they be uh, power or speed, and um, you, you know, you, you kind of don't know what the brain feels like doing. Um, you, you'll have it's good to give a, a guideline. That's what I usually do. So you know, it should be should be in this zone. But um, if you're letting the athlete kind of go and do that that workout at the at the zone prescription, um, you'll you know, and, and to do their best job at, at that zone, then the, you know, the brain will allow them to do a better workout, uh, and get a better adaptation signal if, if, uh, if, if they're so inclined and if they're feeling good. Uh, and additionally, they, um, they're not overly stressed if for some reason they're unable to appropriately achieve that, that objective on that day. So, yeah, I think that's, that's my, um, yeah, that's my general belief and advice and the, the, the things that I do with, with my athletes when I'm coaching them on, on hitting these certain, uh, certain targets in certain days. I really hope that you enjoyed that first part of the interview and definitely tune in on Thursday again to hear part two in episode 129. In the meantime, you can check out Paul on Twitter, where he's at Paul B. Larson, or you can go to plusandprof.com, where, which is his website, together with a previous guest of uh, the podcast, Dan Plus. They work together uh, on that site. They're coaching through it and have all sorts of great content related to triathlon and endurance sports in general. So check that out as well. And also, as usual, check out the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com. If you have suggestions for podcast topics or guests that you want to hear on the podcast, contact me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's Michael with a K, or tweet me on Twitter where my handle is at SciTriat. Also, a bit of a plug here for a, an ultimate guide that I updated recently on strength training. So it's a big, big blog post that goes into everything, the science and application of strength training for triathletes. I'll link to it in the episode description below, or you can just Google scientific triathlon strength training, and it's the first result that you will see. Finally, if I can ask for a favor, please, please keep spreading the word about the podcast as much as you possibly can. That really helps the show grow. And uh, Paul said in our pre-intro chat that he hadn't heard of it before. So it further adds to the evidence that I really need to step up my game in making the podcast a household name in the triathlon podcasting industry. And I cannot do it without you and your help. So Every person that you get to listen to that triathlon show is uh, really appreciated, both you and them, of course. Finally, thank you so much to Precision Hydration for helping me bring this show to you every week. 
You can find them on precisionhydration.com where you can take their free online sweat test to find out what your individual electrolyte and sodium needs are because it is very, very different from person to person. One person may be just fine with 500 milligrams of sodium per hour whereas another person may need 1500 milligrams. So that's a big, big difference. And there are even more extreme cases in in some cases. But that already goes to show you that you cannot just rely on whatever is in your generic sports drink if you want to, to get the electrolytes that you lose in your sweat replenished. And that is something that you absolutely need to do, especially for long-distance races and when you're racing in hot conditions. Again, that's precisionhydration.com and use the promo code show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.